coming in in five, four, three, two. Welcome back, people of Earth, once again to What's Good Radio. I am, as always, your host, Chris Pennant, also known as Jake Stanley, aka Jumping Spider, the worldwide web slinger, the Chicagoan until Chicagoan, the writing hand of the king, and your favorite game show winners, game show winner. As always, Looking forward to hearing the news back from that one quiz program that broadcasts 3.30 p.m. Central Time on ABC. We'll keep you updated on all things related to that. Uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in, listening in. I hope this episode brightens your day. It has already brightened mine. I'm really excited for this show and this particular guest, my former professor at Bradley University. Bradley, stand up as always faculty advisor for the Anime Club, as well as the Society of Professional Journalists. That's already two things that I want to talk about. And an accomplished novelist of the romantic variety, the Cinnamon Roll Alpha series, which is, God, that's such a fantastic name. I can't wait to get into all this, but thank you for coming on the show, Dr. Sarah Baker-Netsley. It's good to hear from you again. I'm thrilled to be here. And can I say, I feel like I was there at the creation of Jake Stanley. You were. I know you it really was kind were. of a name you were using, but I feel like I was there when he started becoming well known. So to hear you introduce yourself like that, just it makes my heart very happy. <laughs> I think you'll. It, it came about from a creative. I took creative writing junior year of high school, and we had an assignment to kind of create a a, a character. And the character I created was this at that time was the antithesis of all the things that I really was. He was like suave and cool he played saxophone he he did all this like it was very noir and so i just i i created that jake stanley character and then that became my my go-to um nom diplôme for everything and so yeah you 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 caught a lot of the jake stanley times when i was at bradley well, I remember you as being one of the first students in my feature writing class to actually successfully sell as you did in class to a professional outlet for publication. And my memory of this, and it's been, I mean, I don't want to shame you for years you've been out of Bradley or anything like that, but it's been a while. But my memory <laughs> is that they actually used Jake Stanley as line for that because there was some confusion about how you'd submitted it and what email address you used. And so you were one of my first public students from that class, but at the same time, <laughs> it was under a pen name, which I thought was actually in respect. Incredibly it is cool. It is really funny. I forgot about that. Yeah, because I had, that was my email address. And that mm-hmm. keeps happening, especially, I don't know how much it happens to people on Twitter who, who changed their, their display name, but I was, in, in one of my other capacities, I was asking a, a writer at the, the Sun-Times, uh, Madeline Kenny, if she wanted to come on the podcast, not this one, but the one that I host with my um, guy James for the Chicago Sky. And I had my name as, as the Black Sydney Carton, uh, one, of, one of my favorite characters from Tale of Two Cities. And she replied to the message. It's like, yeah, Sydney, that's fine. I'll have time today. <laughs> I, I was embarrassed because I had worked with Madeline or at least been in the same um, press conferences for a year or so, (laughs) but it was, I think, so far out of the daily scope of her vision that she was just like, oh yeah, this is, this guy's name is Sidney Carton. So pen names are always kind of, they've got pitfalls. A man of many faces. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's lead off there because when I was at Bradley, I, you're honestly, and I'm not 
this is not hyperbole. This is not flattery. You were one of my favorite professors. You're still one of my favorite professors. Um, you graded fairly. You introduced me to how journalism was in, in the sense of, here, I'm going to work with you on these things, but if your assignment's late, then it's not graded because you can't miss deadlines in journalism. That's the way mm -hmm. the world works. Uh, but I, I had a lot of fun in your class. I think it, we brought in a lot of students that kind of contributed to that. And at the same time, all of the things that I, I, I learned in some capacity about your work and the things that you enjoyed, I had no idea that you had any desire to write romance novels. How did that come about? I'm not sure I had any desire to write them at the time you were my student, honestly. <laughs> That's not that surprising. Well, thank you so much for the kind. You, you, your cohort, your your year of students in particular, that is a memorable group of people, and you yourself as a student were a lot of fun. So I'm I'm glad that it's as memorable to you as it was to me, and I hope it prepared you for at least some of the things you faced in the working world. Because I know anytime you graduate with a journalism degree these days, it's you just don't quite know what you're walking into and yeah. where a student's going to end up. So you're one of those people whose careers I've followed with great delight as I see all the things you've done. Anyway, um, yeah, so I have been a longtime romance reader, many, 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 many years. And after I got tenure in 2012, and tenure at Bradley involves proving that you are a worthwhile teacher and are able to, you know, do good things in the classroom, but you also have to prove that you are a researcher. And so typically for, for my discipline in my area, it is quantitative research that is published in scholarly journals and is rigorous and it's, it's worthwhile and it's challenging and it is rewarding to do. But boy, for all those years of that, I started looking around and thinking, what kind of writing would make me happy. And I thought, you know, I, I can do journalism and I can do this academic writing, but I haven't really done fiction since I was, you know, you mentioned a creative writing class since I was in creative writing in high school. And then, you know, to, to be the kind of reader that I am, I thought, I wonder if marry that, marry my, my writing abilities, different arenas with my love of this kind of of fiction and try it. And so it's so funny when I look back at my, you know, if your laptop is anything like mine or your, your desktop, you have just massive frightening folders that go back years of unorganized writing and things that you've tried to categorize. <laughs> am I calling you out here or am I alone? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I wish I was that. I wish I had, because that's the whole, that's the whole key is to just be right. And you're right. And you're right. And that's mm -hmm. what people have told me all the time. And I've gotten stuck in the rut of I want this to be perfect the first or at best the second time. So I don't have the miles of, of jottings. I, I have like one short story that I started writing a couple of years ago because I, I, got in the, I got in that perfect funk of like, this is what I want it to look like. And then I just have it. So I need to be like that, but I'm not. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's, I'm one of those two. I want it to be perfect. I want it to be as, as good as I can possibly make it. But at a certain point, I just kind of had to let myself go and, and not brain off and stop self-censoring. You know, what would you do if you weren't scared to do it? Kind of, I, I don't want to sound like a motivational poster, but there we are anyway. So, you know, when you look back on my, in my hard drive, I have these files and drafts and, and things going back. Uh, half a decade, almost a decade. And it just kind of in, in 2019 sort of coalesced into, okay, I actually have a story. I can actually move forward with it. I had joined a local writers group and that had uh, led to a lot of mentorship and give and take. And I met wonderful authors who were so supportive and external validation is huge. 
And yeah. I, in traditional media, it's an editor saying you did good kid, right? In, in college, it's a professor saying you worked so hard. I see that. I see that effort come through. You've been so much that kind of thing is it's hard to do sometimes, as you say, you know, you have a short story out there that maybe you haven't shown to too many people. So you don't know, is there any way to externally tell me is this or not? And so I had submitted this draft of this book to it. It's the, um, the unpublished author, the National Unpublished Author Award for, for romance writing. And I submitted a couple of times in the past and in 2019, it was a finalist. And that sort of was the external validation I needed that this group of, of reviewers, you know, anonymous reviewers reviewing anonymous writing said, this is one of the seven best pieces of contemporary romance that came in this year. And we're gonna, you know, this is gonna be in the finals. And that that kind of is what I needed to say, all right, these strangers said I was okay. So I guess I'm okay. And I, looking back, it's kind of like for me to, to say I needed that uh, stranger validation to, to move forward, but I kind of did. But once I had, once I published my first book, I mean, it's always hard. Don't get me wrong. It's always terrifying sending that draft of a book to the first other person to read it. Because what if this is the book that is, what if this is the book that proves to everybody that I can't string sentences together in any coherent fashion? What if this is the one that outs me? Uh, You never quite get over that, but it is, you get braver as you do it. So that's what I would say to you. If you have any interest in picking up fiction, just, just do it. Just, you just get braver to it. And you find trusted people to tell you this is great, but we're this or trusted people to tell you, Oh, honey, no, <laughs> let's go back to square one. Not that that would be your, your, you're a lovely writer. That would never be the case for you. Oh, no, it's tough. I, that's the thing. I, fiction is always hard. And I think that is why, that's why I went into journalism because I mean, partially I knew that I was never going to be the first baseman for the Chicago White Sox. And I figured that the next best thing was to write about sports or talk about them. <laughs> but taking that creative writing class and all these other things that, that kind of guide you is as much as school is a preparation for work. There are all these things where it's like, hey, try your hand at this, see what you can do. And young authors in grade school and these other writing assignments where we had to write stories, fictional stories, were not my bag at all. And so when mm-hmm. I found journalism, I was like, yes, I can create something, but you give me, it's like giving me the building blocks and I can create a tower rather than telling me, hey, create a tower out of thin air. That's how it always felt. So it is really cool to me and interesting that you you had this, you had this storied career in journalism, you covered the state house, you've worked um, so many years teaching other people and in, in, in working in other areas of journalism to move into fiction and such a specific and honestly, I think very intricate type of fiction in terms of romance novels. I, they used to read, people would leave romance novels as kind of like a free library in the laundry room in my building when I was growing mm-hmm. up. And so I, I was at that age, important time where I read everything. And so I would read these romance novels while I was waiting two hours for my clothes to dry. And it's a lot to put together. It's, it might have a, a, like a specific place on the shelf and, and people give it, I think, a certain type of, of kind of snide glances sometimes. But romance novels t- have a lot in them. There's a lot of construction. There's a lot of world building. <laughs> and you have to write these scenes in such a way that it's not so much, in, it's still explicit, but not, is it not raunchy? Not what? Well, no, I, I think you're you're in the ballpark with that. Although the nice thing is, and I don't know if, if this is, if 
things have evolved since you were, you know, a kid doing your laundry and flipping through the paperbacks that were there, uh, especially with eBooks and with online publishing, you find really raunchy stuff and you can find very sweet, very close or, I mean, th- it runs the gamut from zero emojis to as many as you can type into your phone before your thumbs fall off. Right. Like <laughs> it's all out there, which I love. I love that there's, there is a heat level and a complexity and a, an intricacy of plot and and characters for everybody. If you want something that is fast, simple, sweet read, you can find that. And if you want something that is going to rip your heart out and show it to you as it's beating, you can find that. And if you want something that is going to be like, I need 10 minutes alone, you can find that. And so the, the, the choice and freedom and the the variety is, is out there. But you know, it's interesting. I hadn't really thought about this until you put it this way, but journalism, here are the building blocks, here are the rules the constructs we use. Now tell me the story in the best way that you can pick the best tools to do it. I think romance is kind of similar to that in that the rule with with romance fiction is it has to have a happy ending. Romeo and Juliet is not romance. That's 14 year olds who kill themselves. That's not Uh romance. You know, um, Nicholas Sparks is not, she dies tragically of consumption. I don't actually know what kills women in Nicholas Sparks books, but I assume it's consumption. <laughs> That's not romance. There, There's a romance in it, but it does not end with a happily ever after. And so that is not a romance novel. So you are working within these constraints that are quite limited. You have to have the central relationship between these people and it needs to end with a happy ever after or a happy for now. And I think people look at that as limiting and narrow and they look that's garbage it's fluff it's lightweight it's brain candy it's all those things first of all so what if it is how dare you (laughs) judge that if that's what a person's looking for but number two not necessarily it means it's a challenge for the writer to find a way to get to that ending we all know is going to happen but keep the reader in suspense keep the reader emotionally invested keep the reader laughing keep the reader pulled along it's in some ways it's harder i think to get to that satisfying conclusion. We all know it's going to, you know, the, the joke is spoiler alert, they get together, you know, but right. how you get there is it, 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 I marvel every time I pick up a new book or a new author and see the mechanic mechanisms that this person is going to use to get there. Um, and another thing I really like about it. And another reason that I'm excited to be writing and, and the way it kind of, kind of ties into to teaching and what I do at the university as well. Uh, romance used to be pretty straight white, Christian couples, right? Uh-huh. That is that is what traditionally it has been. And there's some growing pains and there has been a lot of pushback and, and debate and discourse. And you can always find some kind of fight happening in Romance Landia on Twitter right now, if you looked with people who are pushing back on those narrow definitions. And we have so many authors who are pushing for inclusivity of different sexualities and different races and different religions and um, different pairings of people. It's not just male, female, it's male, male, it's female, female, it's polyamory, it's it's asexual, it's gray sexual, it's, you know, it's all these things. And so I, I like being a person who, I'm a straight white woman. And so that's what I write. I'm not gonna tell stories that aren't mine to tell, but I'm also not gonna tell them in worlds that are entirely straight head all that, you know, I, I'm not, I want to have a diverse cast in a world that reflects the world we live in. And so I, I think that's, I don't, cause I don't think when you were at school, I was teaching these, this class necessarily, but I teach media, race and gender now and for many years. And so a lot of what we talk about in that class, you know, we, it's, it's looking at how is race and gender and class and religion and all these different arenas, ability, um, mental health, all these things, how is it presented in all forms of media, whether it's news, entertainment, video games, social media, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of my day is spent thinking about how am I going to present these issues to students for news or advertising or whatever the case may be. And I like 
kind of reflect that in my books as well. It's fiction, not the teaching lessons, but you know, if you see it in, and then if you hear it in classroom and the people who are hearing, reading it, go out and live better, more inclusive lives, that to me is a win. So <laughs> that's not, that's not at all what you asked, is it? I just talked, I just talked at you like a professor does. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's still good. It, it honestly is still very good because I, I think it's really, um, that leads into to something that I saw. I was not expecting to see um, the statement about the uh, Vivian Award that you had won. Uh, for some context for everybody listening, Romance Writers of America created the Vivian Awards named after Vivian Stevens, who read as a longtime literary editor, um, agent, and um, author who basically is, is one of the, the mothers of this of romance novels, modern romance novels. Is that right? I would say so, yes. And so that you, you had won this award. It was the inaugural award for uh, contemporary romance literature. And in the statement... Let me just pull the statement up instead of trying to read it from memory, because I still do that, even though it makes no sense to leave something, try to try to say something from memory that's right in front of me. <laughs> uh, you accept the midlife contemporary romance from the Romance Writers of America, this is the inaugural award, and you were hoping to, that it would encourage members to work toward meeting, to get toward meeting the challenges that your writers face to become a better organization. Uh, in terms of what you just talked about with diversifying uh, their characters, diversifying the settings. And the specific thing is that the, there was an award given for the best inspirational uh, book of 2019 that centered around a, a white uh, soldier and, a, and his battle or war with the Comanche Native Americans at Wounded Knee. And so you gave back this award and I don't know. And that was actually, that was only a couple of months ago. So I don't, I, if there's any more context, any more backstory to that, that would be, I, I want to hear about that because it, it not only touches on what we talked about, but on something that I didn't think about with romance novels, period. There's a, there's a lot of context to that. Let me see if I can break it down. So RWA, Romance Writers of America, is the, the largest group representing people who write romance in America. And that's when I say I joined that local writers group a couple of years ago, it was a local group. And that's where I met all these fantastic, probably women who, who helped, you know, uh, support my writing journey. I just said journey. Oh my God, slam me. Uh, but you know, that, 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 that's, that's where I met these people who've become my peers and my friends and my, my source of information. Anyway. So RWA has always sort of had that nice white lady syndrome where this is how we do things. It's just the way it's done. And I, I never felt it in my chapter, but I am a white lady. So if it was there, it was not something I was as aware of, but in some chapters or level, there were times that people who were not writing straight romance or people who were not writing about white characters felt excluded and omitted. And in some cases rather overtly so, and, and there were some major problems are major problems at the national level. And so in 2019, this kind of reached ahead. It, it involves some ugly public things. I, Chris, I don't know if you, I can share links and things like that. It's, it's a very long conversation. And, and in 2019, RW said, we hear you, we're listening, we're going to do better. And so they tried to redo the board and, and people and, and come up with new rules and ways to moderate the forums and all these kinds of things to try to not be as exclusive and frankly rooted in white straight supremacy as it had been in the past. And so 
they retooled the Vivian. The reason it was the inaugural year for the Vivians is they stopped doing the old awards and instituted the Vivians to, we hear you, we're listening, here's these new awards. Part of what happened in 2019, the first ever black woman won Rita Award for best romance of the year. And it it, it just kind of boggled everybody that it took this long mm-hmm. for a black woman to win best book of the year, 2019. You know, this has been going on for decades. So it was retooled. Here's the Vivians. It's new. We have new judging that hopefully will help us root out intrinsic bias. We have new uh, requirements for judges to make sure we don't have anybody who's rolling up with, I just can't relate to a book where a character isn't of my race. I mean, how could I? We don't want those people judging, you know, uh, these categories. So they redo everything. Everybody's, well, I shouldn't say everybody, people are, some people, many people are optimistic for the future. And then, you know, you have the finalists of which my book was one of them in the contemporary romance category. I was thrilled. I won. I was thrilled. I was honestly shocked. I didn't think I stood any chance because, you know, it's, it's tough competitions. It's, it's national published in these areas. And I was thrilled and then found out after the fact that this book that had depicted the genocide of indigenous people had won an in, in inspiration category. And then the board, RWA board did not respond in a way that to me reflected growing and learning. They were supposed to have been growing and learning. And, and the response to that was frustratingly short, I felt. And it just, I just, every time I looked at that award, it would have felt wrong to me to keep it in the same year that they awarded that particular book and then didn't make any effort to understand why people were so hurt and angry and and just disappointed and so that's why I returned it and it was it was hard it was a hard decision until it wasn't at a certain point I just thought you know what I can't I can't keep my name with this because the initial award shouldn't have gone to this book this book shouldn't really have been allowed to final or stay in the finals because it is depicting such a problematic hero and such problematic viewpoints that are hurtful to people anyway so that's that's why I did that I I don't know if that all it's as I said it's a very long story and there's all kinds of fighting and and you'll see it in in mainstream media picked up on this in 2019 and a little bit when the Vivians happened in July of this year uh so that's where that came from that was that was a lot (laughs) yes no, no, it's, I mean, it is a lot. I, I, I gave you a, not only a loaded question, a very broad question. So I apologize <laughs> for that, but I wanted to, to get your take on it and, and you gave it to me. And I think there's still even more there because like I said, I wasn't aware of this. I mean, I, I grew up in a black neighborhood. So there, there, if you look around, if you go to what, well, it was a Dominic's then, um, rest in peace, the Dominic's, <laughs> uh, but if you go to any Mariano's book or magazine section, you're going to find all of the, you know, kind of dime store beach reads. And there's a ton of romance novels. And depending on the neighborhood, they'll stock these. And a lot of them will be, there's, there's, there's jokes about them in some um, TV shows and other places, like a lot of Black Christian romance novels or just Black romance novels. And so that was a part of my childhood, even though I didn't necessarily read them unless, again, they were in the laundry room. So it is it is very incredible that it would take that long for this person to win. But also, I didn't know that there were these kind of backdrops to to romance novels, which I suppose it, um, in, in talking about this, using the the Wounded Knee Massacre as kind of a backdrop or, or an, even an impetus for, for a heroic character. And some of that is probably naivete on my part, but it, it seems 
especially in 2021 or 2019 or, or any time within the last four, I'll, I'll go 10, I'll say 10 years, it seems very obtuse. Yes. And that was sort of the frustration that a lot of people were expressing with RWA. How can you not see how this continues to be a problem? And part of it, I mentioned the explosion of content with online publishing, with self-publishing, with eBooks, with, you don't have the gatekeepers anymore. And this is where I, some of, some of the fiction writing crosses with my academic work, because gatekeeping is a big part of journalism. You know, what, what stories do we allow to, to, be on the front page or be at the top of the newscast versus not. Likewise, what what books are on the end cap at Barnes and Noble? What books are we even purchasing for sale at Barnes and Noble? And if you have a book buyer who is a white Christian straight lady, is she going to tend toward those books? And so are you not going to have the same opportunities? And that was, again, I'm, I'm not speaking for myself. I'm a white lady, but that was the case for a lot of authors who couldn't get contracts and couldn't get picked up and couldn't get placement in, um, main bookstores. And so the opening up of this indie author market led to just so much availability that, that a market was starving for, that there were readers out there who were just crying out for, give me female, female romance, give me romance that isn't about the same type of couple that I've seen a million times. Uh, and, and for other people, they didn't see that it was a shortcoming because they were shopping at Nobler. They were looking at the bestsellers on Amazon back in the day, and they weren't seeing what was missing, they just were seeing what was there. And, and awareness of what's missing, I think that's that's what I've been so heartened by in the last couple of years is these conversations about where have we missed the opportunities to, to raise these own voices, basically. And, and more people are aware of what has been missing and what, what can I as a consumer, what can I as an author, what can I as a peer do to try to help either get out of the way so other voices can have room in the market or elevate or share or promote or just in my own books, not make it quite insular world. Uh, I've hired sensitivity readers when I'm writing about people who are from backgrounds that are not mine. I make sure I hire somebody uh, who does have experience with that, whatever, you know, fill in the blank. I, I have a hero in one of my books who is demisexual. That is not a sexuality that I know. And so I researched, uh, I'm, a, I'm a journalist. So, you know, I, I mean, we you know, we can research. We know how to research this. <laughs> so I, I did my research and I, I turned it into fiction and then I sent it to the sensitivity reader who wrote back a lengthy report saying, these are the things that work. These are the things that don't. Here's what I suggest. Here's how you can incorporate it. And I felt... 8,000 times more confident in putting that book out that I hadn't done harm to a community with what I had done because I had done the research and gotten the feedback and incorporated that and hopefully helped kind of educate sounds a little, hopefully I helped educate my fiction. And I don't mean to say it that way, but at least present a world that isn't straight white people <laughs> doing what right. they do. So. And like I say, it's, it's something that you're endeavoring to do, but it's always difficult and the research part of it is, is one thing, but that's not the only thing that you can do mm-hmm. or you can't or, or have to do. And it's, it's hard. It's hard to, for as much as everybody is trying to do, who's on the right side of this, trying to, to understand, you know, how people go out and, and live each day and create that understanding between each other. It's difficult. Like you said, you, it's not something that you understand a demisexual character. It's, it's not something that, that I necessarily understand either. So you're still trying to bridge that gap, but it's it's hard. If not, it, I, I always kind of thought of it in terms of a limit and like a mathematical limit. You can get as close as you possibly can in some ways, but you never 
can quite get there. So you're doing everything you can to get to like 99.99999% embodiment, walking in that person's shoes, but mm -hmm. you can't quite reach it. So it, it is difficult, but the work that you're doing and I, from what it seems like other authors are trying to do is, is getting there. Because then if you have a book that you put out and somebody reads it and they're like, now I can I click on something that maybe I didn't before with this person that I know and interact with but have you know never quite gotten along with that was that was a pretty rambling answer for us. no 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 not all it, it makes total sense. and I do I do like I I see myself in this book and I'm not certainly not saying that about my books necessarily but when I see people responding to a book with a neurodivergent character for example or um a plus heroine or whatever the plus size hero, whatever the case may be, I see myself in that. And I don't usually I see myself in fiction. I don't see myself in romance. I don't see myself on TV to see that in the pages. I just, I love that. I, I love that power to do that and to, to help be inclusive. And uh, if I'm not the person to tell that story, then give me recommendations of people who are, so I can put it in my newsletter or share it on my social, my readers, so they can find those too. So yeah, that's, it's, it's a lot of fun and a lot of opportunity and a lot of challenge and a lot of frustration. And I'm just one of many nice white ladies just trying to not suck. That's all. <laughs> well, I want to, I want to, I want to talk about journalism, but I have to stay on this because I have to ask about the, the cinnamon roll alpha series, which I think yes. I expected to be something different having been looking at what is the subject of all the books. I have to ask where you came up with that name for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the cinnamon roll is actually a trope. Romance is very heavily trope driven. And sometimes it's plot tropes, fake relationship or enemies to lovers. Those are, those are just catnip for readers. You tell me you've got an enemies to lovers book. I will say, when can I read it? Can I do it? Can I read it right now? <laughs> um, cinnamon roll is a hero who is just so sweet and ooey gooey that he almost is too perfect. So that's as opposed to kind of the alpha hole or the the surly quiet guy or whatever. It's it's that guy who's just so sweet and supportive. You want to nom him like a cinnamon roll. And uh, that's the kind of, and that's, I was finding myself, I have a very hard time writing mean people. I, I write nice men. When I write my books, I write very nice men. And so I thought, you know what, that's, I should probably lean into that and make that part of the marketing because you're not going to get that, Marky asshole with me. I, I just, you're not going to get that guy who's all like growly motorcycle club. Like, Whoa. no, no, that's not the, that's not the Sarah Whitney experience. And so that's where that came from. But at the same time, they're not, there's also alphas and betas. And, and this is not just romance, obviously. This is all kinds of psychological uh, nature wolves, whatever. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, my guys are not pushovers. They're certainly still in control. They're just nice about it. So that's kind of where that came from. It's a problem though, because Amazon, which is the number one driver of my book sales, um, doesn't like the word alpha. In advertising, they shut it down because they say it's referring to sexual practices. And I'm just like, what does, does Amazon shut down religious books about alpha and omega? Did they is it just my book? And it's not talking about sexual practices. It's talking about personality. So it's actually kind of problematic branding for me because I have a hard time sometimes getting advertising approved with Amazon because Jeff Bezos is a harsh overlord who doesn't care about nuance. I just said that. He he's that. Like, I can't, like, my, my books are going to disappear. My books are just going to disappear from the Amazon <laughs> storefront now. He heard me say that. So. But yeah, that's where that comes from. It, it, it is a way of indicating type of hero type of vibe you're going to get from my book you're not going to get like lots of angsty 
possessive growly dude you're gonna get nice kind supportive dude who sometimes is surprised to be like wait i like her wait i love her oh no that's the kind of thing that it's just a little lighter sunnier bouncier and that hopefully comes through in the branding that's what that is and it doesn't help i mean it doesn't hurt that book one does actually literally have a baker hero who does make cinema that. that's not it's not required to have a cinnamon roll hero but it just it's nice that that's how it kind of worked out with that first book well now i i have to look up tropes of these role of like what are the romance novel tropes because i didn't like i hadn't heard of cinnamon roll ever <laughs> oh yeah tropes are huge i mean you'll have people who you could wake me up from a dead sleep you could shake me awake and whisper what are your favorite tropes and i like sit bolt upright and be like enemies to lovers friends to lovers all in one bed like those are the those are the tropes the surprise pregnancy is a trope that is not my jam I understand that it works for other people i'm you, we're not on camera right now but i'm sitting in my office with all my books behind me all romance novels not mine but like the ones that i own, the ones that i wrote i'm looking around at the other tropes that are here but yeah that the and if you go to amazon you'll actually see a lot of authors actually say a workplace romance or a um a second chance romance where you were in a relationship before and you broke up and you are getting back together and they actually mark it based on tropes because they know readers something to read and you're like i am in the mood for a second chance romance give me somebody falling in love again with the adulation of themselves and they will go looking for that and so it's just kind of it's kind of a way to browse it's a way to shop it's a way to uh, okay uh, i'm gonna be your professor again for a second com 300 com theory uh -huh. Do you remember uses and gratifications theory? Did you learn that in comedy? Yes, we did. I don't remember it um, <laughs> word for word, but I, know, I remember oh, what you're talking no, about. No, you're fine. It's been a billion years for both of us. No, it's fine. But uses and gratifications theory says that we use media to gratify certain psychological needs. Yes. So if you sit down and read the news in the morning before you start your day, you are gratifying a certain need for probably surveillance preparation being prepared for the day what's the weather going to be what's happening are there strikes happening with public transit are you know what 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 do i need to know to navigate in my world so uses and grats says we make these intentional choices if you wind down at night do you want to wind down with an episode of hbo's chernobyl or do you want to wind down with a rerun <laughs> of the office i'm guessing it's the office and that's uses and grats anyway so uh, tropes are, are kind of like that you know use the gratification what do i want right now what what do i need for my play pleasure reading or for my challenging reading or whatever it is that I'm going to sit down with my free time. What need do I need to gratify and really help you do that? What, what is flavor that I want right now for this? So that's kind of part of, that's how I look at it. And I think that tropes just help you identify and, and, and find things really quickly. So what are your three favorite romance novel tropes? And do they, because a lot of these things like they seem like they bridge over to romantic comedies. I'm oh, well, and I mean, I, I write rom-coms that you can market mine in either direction, really. It kind of depends on the market I'm talking to or the cover thing, but um, I have illustrated covers, cartoon covers that are a lot more rom-commy, but yeah, they, they're very rom-commy. And you can see that if you look at your you know favorites on Netflix, you'll see some of those tropes as well. But I, I love an enemy story. I, I love a, I hate you. I hate you. Oh my God. Why are we kissing? Oh, so, <laughs> so good. Um, I love a fake relationship. They do not exist in the real world. I don't know a single person who's actually been in a fake relationship, but you give me a book where for capital R reasons, you have to pretend to be the person's boyfriend or friend. Oh, I will eat it with a fork. I will eat it up, especially if they don't like each other. Give enemies to lovers slash fake relationship. You can start combining, shuffling together like decks of cards. So good. <laughs> and then the third, it's not really a, like a 
trope, trope, well, it's a trope, but that only one bed. We're traveling, it's late, there's a blizzard, we got to check into a hotel. What do you oh, mean no. there's only one room? What do you mean <laughs> there's only one bed? Oh, is he going to sleep on the floor? It's too cold. You're going to, for your own sake, you, you have to come in. It'll be fine. We won't end up cuddled together at the, no, they always end up always end up cuddled together when they wake up. So those are probably my three, but ask me next week, it would change. <laughs> oh man, that, <laughs> that particular trope is, it kills me. I can't, <laughs> I can't lie because it's so, you can see it coming. You can see it but coming But you still so want it away. to happen. That's the beauty. You see it coming. It's like that scene in Austin Powers when the guy is screaming as the steamroller is coming toward him. And it's like, a hundred yard day and he's just screaming and it's just as you see it coming right and you don't move you're just like hit me hit me with the only one hit me hit me <laughs> okay now that does bring me into because i know we're, we're getting close to the end and i don't want to spend too much time on this but i think that one of the best memories i had one is is the fact that we could discuss things uh, both on topic and off in class but one of the things that i remember we had not not a difference of opinion on necessarily but i always felt like um, in terms of agenda setting, uh, just the theory that, you know, this is the, t the news is telling you what to think about is still somewhat true, but it seems like, mm -hmm. I want to get your take on it. Like the news is firmly now telling us or trying to tell us what to think. And to some degree that it's, it's almost like the, the mission of journalists to become more active in the telling of their stories. Uh, for instance, just with the, with the women's basketball that I covered, there is a definite slant of not just that we want to get this news out because it's important, but this news is important. We want you to not only think about it, we want you to follow this. We want you to follow this subject. And this is, this is going to be here because it's been so maligned in the past. We have to promote it in a sense. So I want to mm -hmm. see if you think that that, that theory is, is that, I, that idea that the news is just telling you what to think about is outdated or if it just is kind of there's corollaries attached to it now. Okay. So this is going to be, I hope ultimate gets a girl who can do both. Cause we are going to pivot hard into comp theory now <laughs> talking about romance novels, but so there are two different theories here. There's agenda setting, which as you say, the, the news tell you what to think. It tells you what to think about. So 2008 leading up to the housing crash, we're covering the financial markets or the bubble or the, I can't even talk about it intelligently because that's how little I understand it can articulate business news. It's okay. I don't teach it and I don't write it. So it's not, it's not my bailiwick. That's fine. But because the media weren't even covered, they weren't even talking about it. Nobody was talking about it. The, the agenda it was set was focus on these five issues, but not this. Uh, so right now, if you looked at, at what the agenda is, obviously it's still COVID. It's going to be economy. It's, um, Racial justice in some ways, although that's something that, that comes and goes on the media's agenda. But basically, if it's not the lead story or the top of the newscast, it's just not going to be as discussed. And stories that are in the top of the newscast become more important. So mm -hmm. I do still think there's a huge agenda setting. If uh, the media talking about COVID, 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 I'm, that, I'm not at all saying that that is not important. Obviously, and obviously we're a nation that is war with itself over common sense <laughs> as we approach this, right? It, it's necessary to talk about, but it has so dominant that it has driven the agenda to the detriment of perhaps other stories, other types of coverage. So I, definitely the things the media chooses to emphasize or de-emphasize or completely ignore. 
you know, the ongoing homelessness, poverty, economic inequality issues in the country. We don't talk about that enough because they're not sexy breaking news. And so they are not high on the agenda. So we do tell people what to think about and what to talk about and what to be scared of. Uh, that's all part of the agenda setting. But the second theory is framing and priming. And that is where the media emphasize certain attributes of a story that can lead the public to think about a story in one way or the other. And this is, this is very, very basic and probably something that everybody who listens to you has has heard of, been introduced to, or at least thought themselves as they're listening to the news. But you talk about thugs versus rioters versus protesters versus activists. Those uh -huh. words all have very, very different meanings. And good practitioners of journalism understand that and are, are responsible with it. Bad practitioners of journalism throw the word thug around indiscriminately, knowing what it's going to do to the public, knowing the, the layers of meaning that that has when it's applied to someone who is at a protest, someone who is at a march, someone who's at a rally. So definitely um, the media are in many, the media always are choosing what words they use. You have, you know, to, to tell a story, you have words, right? You have to use facial expressions. You have to use gestures. If you're in broadcast, you have to use a, a tone of voice. So framing happens. We have to pick the words that we use to talk about gun control and abortion and civil rights and voting rights and things like that. Media outlets unconsciously tell people what they're thinking about a topic because they have chosen a word and they haven't thought what's going to promote fear or what's going to support my agenda. They're not doing it on purpose, but uh, because you just you have to choose a word, right? You have to choose a way to put the news out there. But there are other media outlets that are very aware of the power that gun control versus gun legislation has. Control uh -huh. versus legislation. It's a little thing, but it makes a difference, right? Abortion rights, pro-choice, pro-life. All three of those things are different. And some people are just using them interchangeably because they haven't thought about it. Others are very intentionally saying, right. Like, this is how we want this. to market so, this to our, our, our readers. Exactly, exactly. And so I think what happens sometimes is people ascribe intent to media outlets where there wasn't any. You have to remember, and I'm, obviously you know this, just in the general view, you have to remember that the news is put out every by people who are rushed on headline. They make mistakes. They have biases. They have human flaws and foibles. They, they are not perfect. And so there are times that they're going to screw up so badly that it's not malicious or it, it, there's not intent in their heart, but it can cause harm. And then there are other times that they are shit weasels who are doing it on purpose. <laughs> And, and know that what they're doing is causing fear, driving a wedge, is, is advocating for causes that are not going to bring about unity or consensus or is going to make polarization worse in the country. And they are doing it on purpose. And if you ask them about it, they would be like, what do you mean? We're just, but it is to drive an agenda. And so it's really hard sometimes to know who's doing it on purpose and who's not. And other times it was very easy to tell when it's intentional. I'm talking about Fox News. Oh, oh yeah. Well, and honestly, Chris, it's been so hard to be a journal professor in the last couple of years because I used to try to be, and maybe it didn't come off that way when you were in my classroom, but I tried to be fairly neutral. You know, I tried not to, but the last couple of years, I just had to say, listen, <laughs> There are politicians who do not care about the truth and want to mislead, and they're doing this on purpose, and there are news outlets that are enabling them and emboldening them. I teach a class on fake news, and 
there is no way to teach fake news without saying it is Donald Trump. It is Tucker Carlson. It is Sean Hannity. There is no false balance. There is no, but the other side, but no, there's no, but there's no, but Chris Hayes, right? Yes. Sometimes the left does it, but it is the preponderance of the bad behavior and the intentional bad behavior is with these actors on this side of the political. And to, to not say that is such a false equivalency. And it's been very hard to balance that and to not feel like I'm, I'm going too far, but they are going so far. You kind of have to say, my position isn't left or right. My position is we have truths that we have to agree on and you lying or sticking your head in the sand or insisting loudly that this is truth when we, it is, you know, Biden won the election. There's not both sides to that, that you cannot allow, well, what about? And so to, to stand in front of a class and say, no, no, <laughs> we need to stand for truth and for accuracy and verification and all of these things and, and saying, well, there's two sides to the story is not always the case. And too often the media who are afraid that they'll be called biased or that they'll be accused of slant in one way or another if they only say the problem is on this side. When the problem is on this side, you got to do it. So it has been a very strange time to be a journalism professor. And I'm a lot uh, more open about the challenges facing the media and the public and what it does to voting and voting rights and what it's going to do to elections and governance moving forward. It's not a comfy time right now. <laughs> it's an uncomfy time. <laughs> it is. It really is. And I think journalists are, journalists come out of school with expectations of, of what they want to do, but also, you know, where, where am I going to get into work? And knowing that either publicly or privately or, or in rumors, X media organization takes this general stance with their stories. It, even in sports, you know, ESPN is criticized, somewhat unfairly criticized for having a liberal slant at the same time when they let <laughs> liberal writers go for and or don't back them in, in um, specific public liberal versus conservative battles. So I, I it is, it is very discomforting, I know, for, I'm, I can only imagine what it's like for the students that you've seen come through school, even though I've seen a few of them, um, either up close or just in, you know, at a distance, um, finding their way in the world. Yeah, it is, in terms of employment, in terms of opportunities, in terms of understanding the right amount of yourself that needs to go into your online presence that needs to go into your writing to understand how to navigate bias to understand if I land at a certain outlet do I have a little more leeway editorialize or to add a little opinion or to write in first person there's just the way I teach now is so different than when I started of course I started a million years ago so the field has evolved but I, I certainly a little more leniency in terms of yeah if, if you are writing with little opinion or if you if you if that's the kind of approach you're taking if you want that kind of race in there there's probably going to be an outlet for that and so I'm going to teach you how to do it well and I'm going to teach you how to do it so you're still adhering to facts and and to teach you how to do it in a way that you're not a partisan hack or in the tank completely for x or y you know I understand supporting is a whole different animal I don't think that you were in Chicago to be like I don't know let's let's not be so quick to judge that you know that's not how that works I don't think no (laughs) yeah Uh, by the way I don't know if you recall I am not a sports person at all but uh, my friend Tanya has spent the last couple of years trying to make me a baseball fan and so things I am prepared to discuss with you tonight um Rizzo getting traded and immediately getting COVID 
Um, mm-hmm. that, was, that was a gas. Cubs RIP, Cubs RIP fusions, and then um, um, Voight's arms at the Yankees. That's Those are the things that I'm uh, Yes, to because I remember you said Tanya's a, a Yankees fan. And I, did that go into your uh, your one book with the Cubs and, and the Yankees fan and their enemies to friends yes, enemies she to was, lovers battle? Yes, yes, the enemies to lovers. She's a Yankees fan. He's a Cubs fan. They share an armrest with season tickets at at Wrigley Field. Tanya was my baseball advisor. Absolutely, she was the one who was like, "No, sweetie, it's Yankees Navy. It's it's not uh, what we call it." So, <laughs> absolutely. But yeah, she she has tried. So I figured this would have the least sports content that you talked about in a while in in your podcast. So I just wanted to at least say. I, I can name a handful of players, which is more than I could do a couple of years ago. So that is, I mean, that's good. That's a big step. And, and Aaron judge not, had an off season beard. Let's talk about that. That is weird. He, what? That's he weird. Did. I shaved it, but it was very strange. I know because the Yankees have, Oh, you know, one, at some point we'll, we will just, uh, we'll, we'll do something like this again, but we'll get Tanya on because I mean, she's, she's um, had so much journalism history in her own right. But if anything else, I have not argued with a Yankees fan in quite some time. And it is always, it is always very much fun. Somewhere miles away from both of us, her head just picked up, her ears pricked up. And she said, wait, can I, is it, is it time? time. Put me in coach. I'm ready to yell about the Yankees. (laughs) Cause we only, I went to, I went to two White Sox Yankees games this year and we lost both of them. But the one that we won was the one that mattered the most because it was on national television in the middle of a freaking cornfield and it was awesome and i know that her antenna just picked up off that if nothing else she was watching that with me that was in i was it was at my house we watched it together it was it was tense for a while at, at the conclusion of that game it was tense <laughs> it was tense <laughs> But what a cool game. I mean, oh, I don't man. care how commercial it was. I don't care how many times they made Kevin Costner out of a cornfield. <laughs> worth it. So that was much. incredible. <laughs> Kevin, we just stay in the corn a little bit longer and then you're going to start out heroically. It's, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Yep. And it was. It absolutely was. So as we come to the, the crux of the show, I want to ask you about what you find good about the work you do. And we've touched on it obviously already with the diversification of platforms for romance writers. And even just as, as it's become more difficult for journalists and journalism students to navigate their craft, you know, where do you find the good in both uh, the romance writing and the work you do as a professor, as a teacher? That's, oh, that's, that's such a good question. What's good about the work that I do, I think is the opportunity I have to influence future generations, the, the opportunity to, to have students in the class where we can talk about equity and inclusion issues. We can talk about undercovered topics and issues and ideas. And so just being able to have a student in class, with, even if it's just for a semester, maybe it's for a couple of semesters, to know that when they go out into the world, if they're faced with a situation where they have a choice with, should I talk to I don't know, Chris, if you remember me saying this in journalism, but too many sources in the news are mainly male, mainly pale. Uh-huh. So we talked to a lot of guy experts. And so if, if I have a student out there who has graduated from the program and thinks to themselves, you know, I could talk to somebody, I could put somebody in on the news who is not that same kind of source that gets a different type of viewpoint, a different perspective, a different life experience in the news. And I think that's great. So the opportunities to 
what I like, oh God, it's so, it's so cliche, but I like that I have the opportunity, even though I'm not currently a working everyday journalist to work with the people who are going to be the working everyday journalists so they can be a little more thoughtful, sensitive, and inclusive as they go about jobs, even if they're covering an industry that doesn't have a lot of that, or, uh, you know, that, that's just, that's such an awesome responsibility. I don't mean like awesome. I mean, like that, that fills me with awe that I have the ability to, to help and people into the world with a little perspective beyond just themselves. And I, I love that. And I guess likewise with romance, it's, it's kind of similar that I, I am so grateful that I'm in a time when I'm not trying to be published by one of the five publishers, which is fantastic. And I respect my, my peers who are published by, you know, your Berkeley's and your St. Martin's and the big presses. That's fantastic. But there's so much opportunity out there for other stories to be told and for for me to tell mine me to tell mine alongside people who are telling theirs in fields and arenas and experiences that I can't even imagine I just it's such a wild time of opportunity right now and it's it's so fun to see it now counterpoint there are also terrible people on social media who scream hateful hurtful things at at women, people of color, trans people, anyone who doesn't meet their worldview. And so there is a dark side to that. And I'm aware of that. And I don't mean, I've sounded pretty optimistic, I think, in this conversation, and I'm, I'm not blind to that. But just the, the, the freedom to tell our stories and to tell them in creative ways, you having this podcast is such an amazing thing, you know, that, that we didn't have... 15 years, 15 years ago, when did podcasts start? I feel like it's about then 20 years ago. Um, It's, it's the power of that. And and even if you're not, well, and you're going to be, you're going to be famous. You're going to, you're not going to be on, sir. I think you need to shoot higher host jeopardy. Forget about being a contestant. (laughs) Take the whole damn thing over. But I mean, whatever happens, imagine it, you'd be fantastic. But you know, whatever happens, your, your voice is reaching somebody somewhere and somebody probably who needs it and who is benefiting from it. And I just, the ability to do that in small increments or large increments, whatever it is, we're, we're doing what we can in the corners of the world that we touch. And I think that light spreads. And I think that's so important. And I'm, I'm glad you're doing the opportunity to do it. And I hope we get to keep doing it for a long time. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, because that is, I mean, the whole point of starting this podcast was because the pandemic wiped me out. I think it's like it wiped a lot of other people out. Uh, mentally. And I was, it was a struggle. It was a struggle writing about the sky who were, you know, thousands of miles away in Florida playing and having a tough season and knowing that the work mattered, but still kind of questioning that every day. And so that I, I've said it on, I've said it on episodes before, but I, I feel like I have to keep saying it. When I do these shows, when I do these recordings, it reminds me not just why I did the show, but why, uh, doing the show is, is fun and important and a good thing, which is the whole point. So in, I guess in that regard, it might be a bit self-serving, but it proves its point every single time out, which is you know, more than a lot of other things out there too. So thank you so much for coming on the show. You've got the, fi- the finale of the Simon and Roll Alpha series coming out next year. What can you say about that? I, you know, it's you say that I have really struggled with my writing during the pandemic, and I'm certainly alone in that. Uh, I don't even, I don't have the excuse of I had kids at home, I had to homeschool, I just was depressed as hell. And it was really hard to find that kind of hopeful optimism that you need. I think to do that kind of writing and I have really struggled with it. So um, I didn't put anything out in the past year. It, it has 
taken me a lot longer to to produce than I wanted. Um, I actually published a book today. It's funny that we're talking today, but I I wrote a novella, a Christmas novella. I turned it around pretty quickly. It was, it was fun. The concept just kind of jumped into my brain and I, you know what, I'm going to do this. This sounds, this sounds fun. And so I did it and I published it. And it's the first thing I've published since September of 2020, I think. And it felt so good to get it out there. And so um, the, the, the next Cinnamon Alpha book will be out, I'm hoping in February. And I'm hoping that, that getting this book out today just is a sign of, let's just do this. Let's, I don't know. <laughs> let's, let's try to be optimistic and let's, let's, I, yeah, it has been, Chris has been a rough year. <laughs> So, um, yeah, early next year is what I'm hoping for this little novella. I'm hoping just kind of cracked through some of that writer's block that I had and kind of remind me of how much fun it can be to do this. And I'm hoping that's going to lead me to sit down and just go once I can, once I can actually focus on that. So yeah, I I would say hopefully February right now, the release date is, is January and that's not going to happen, but hopefully very for that, that was not a very well thought out answer, but man, pandemic stress is real and it's not quite done with us yet but no uh it's coming back for uh, round three i think at this point yeah i think you're right. but I, we have scientists we have doctors we have uh, a democrat in office so i'm hoping yeah i made yeah. it political if you're welcome <laughs> you know everybody out there i was very we all welcome you're all welcome for that one and i'm serious <laughs> <laughs> dr sarah baker netsley uh, Sarah Whitney in your bookshelves. Uh, check her out on sarahwhitney.com. Uh, the, all the, the just a list of books that she has, you can email her at sarah, S-A-R-A, at sarahwhitney.com. And is there anywhere else where people can find you where you want to engage with them? Uh, I'm also on Twitter as my my real name, Sarah Nye. Um, you can find me there on Twitter. Uh, and I don't often, but that's where I... I do talk about TV and journalism and various relevance. So yeah, that's that's good too. Sarah without an H, thanks. <laughs> I gotta say, and, and uh, we didn't even get to is like you've been writing for Entertainment Weekly. I think that started when I was still in school with um, with you, and those are those are great. You you had your NCIS recap right before we came on the show, so check those out, folks. Too, yep. they are fantastic. Freelancing as a, a TV entertainment writer has been amazing and so much fun and i could talk about that for a whole other hour but I, that's not what I'm up for. So. <laughs> well again thank you for coming on the show thank you all for listening this has been what's good radio catch us on anchor.fm at what's good radio and the number one and see me on twitter at quandary kitten that's k-w-a-n-d-a-r-y kitten for all of your baseball news tearing out your hair if you're a white Sox fan still in loving life if you're a chicago sky fan and if you are a human crossing your fingers and working for the best. Until next time, be good, do great things, people. We're out. The What's Good Radio theme was written and produced by Marcel Ayers. Find more of his music online at soundcloud.com slash CEL Lucky Menace. Listen to every episode of What's Good Radio on anchor.fm slash what's good radio one.